0: What is up, Internet? Welcome to season two of Self Defense from All Angles with me, Randy King. Don't forget if you're looking for a speaker to come to your workplace or martial arts club to talk about the realities of violence and very simple, proactive ways to help solve those problems, get a hold of us at 8020cms.com or randykinglab.com what is up everyone sorry about the huge huge delay on this season i know uh the last season came out end of november while i was on tour in europe and uh, this season has gotten a slow start because i'm really trying to book some unique guests the way i want to start the show off very simply is let's talk about the guests that are coming I have gone more along the main theme of this podcast, which is talking to people who have experienced violence or who work in environments where violence is common, but they are not uh, official experts or trainers. Now, this has been probably one of my favorite projects because I've done multiple podcasts, debate podcasts, talking to savages, Randy King Live. This one's my favorite because... I'm getting people to give me raw information on violence and raw information on self-protection, not just the refined presentations that people are used to doing, like I do all the time, all over the world, right? I'm giving refined presentations. It's always good to keep a touchstone to the people that actually need this stuff. And I'm not talking about the strip mall middle-class people who come to learn a couple of things because, you know, somebody creeped them out. I mean, the people that live in dangerous environments that experience violence, violent victimization sexual victimization, or at least that potential is there all the time. There are so many lessons to learn from these people that some instructors are talking about, whether it's not in the wheelhouse or they didn't hear about it. I cannot believe how much my mind is being expanded, how much more my services have improved while doing this show so number one if you haven't caught up go check out season one the first 20 episodes are out highest episode we have so far where me and my daughter talk about questions that her friends had we outsourced them that episode has the most download so far please check out and of course please go share it This week's episode is going to be just me. I just came back from a trip to the East Coast of Canada in Cape Breton Island, and I was there assisting teaching a Speak Up, my branding, Speak Up self-defense course for the Indigenous people of that area. The research on that course... Which I had to update since before the pandemic was super sad. And just looking at the numbers of the victimization that the Indigenous people here in Canada deal with is crazy. So I wanted to dedicate this episode to number one, talking about that trip and the things that I learned. Number two, going over the story of why I give a crap about Indigenous people. I know it, people find it weird that number one, you can't just care about human beings, but also have a personal story where a friend of mine was killed and the way he was treated was not the way. I would have been treated because he was Indigenous. And then I want to go into some of the numbers that face the Indigenous people here in Canada. Some of the statistics, some of the outliers, some of the really interesting things I found in the research. Some things that actually change the way that I pitch my material. So hopefully that interests you. Stay tuned. Obviously, while you can, like and subscribe to the channel, whether you're on YouTube or you're listening to this on audio. And please share this show because the goal of this show is to get your friends interested in martial arts training. So if you're an instructor, or somebody up there high up in the ranks. This might not be for you. This might be basic information. But the way we're trying to do this show is to make this the gateway for people to get more interested in training. So hopefully you're here for a story. Like I said, coming up this season, not just me talking. There will be some episodes of just me. I decided to do a couple more of these to make sure we're getting more information out there. And because I'm always constantly evolving our program and doing more research, it's very hard to keep up. Also, don't forget to join us on Patreon. The bonus content for this episode is going to be my entire speak up self-defense presentation at the $5 level. So I'm going to run that through the slides. So that'll be on Patreon at the $5 level. And as always, you'll get extra content and stories on the $5 level of Patreon. So let's get into this. I was called up by a very well-known instructor named Jim Maloney. He is the first person to bring Weichi Karate to Canada. He's a grandmaster. He is First Nations, Indigenous, he likes to call himself. We're going to be having him on the show. He decided to fly me to Halifax and then up into Cape We drove to Cape Breton to help him teach a course on self-defense for indigenous women. And my job for the seminar was to create a presentation that had updated stats, updated information, updated methods of victimization for people in the First Nations. And wow, did that information make me sad. There was so much data that's out there all on Stats Canada. um, And I have all of the references that I used on the kick sheet for the new upcoming course. So if you want that, feel free to get a hold of me, I can whip it to you. But it was depressing when we take out the the minority that is the Indigenous people of Canada, the Indigenous people of Canada actually only make up 4% of our population. And that number is super important when we start talking about the rest of the stats, because since they're only 4% of our population, the fact that they are overrepresented in uh, sexual violence, violent victimization, human trafficking, especially, is a cause for concern. And there's a bunch of reasons why I'm sure people can guess why the First Nations are being chosen and picked for this kind of violence. I'll let you speculate that on your own. I have my own theories. I'll talk about that on page. I don't want that totally out here in public, but if you want to jump on Patreon, that information is going to be there. So Grandmaster Jim says, Hey, Randy, why don't you come to Halifax? Help me teach this course. Please bring updated information. He's a fan of the podcast. And so he was really excited about the way we present material and just kind of the research around it. So I went through it. The focus for this seminar particularly was human trafficking because there is the, there's some indigenous games happening in Halifax this summer. And so the people we worked with were all the athletes going to Halifax. Now, when it comes to human trafficking, and this is a very Canadian statistic. But when it comes to human trafficking, Halifax is actually per capita, the worst place in all of Canada, when it comes to human trafficking, it is a port city, it is where most people are transported through. And when we look at the numbers per capita, people transported, the second highest area is 6.1. And that's the greater Toronto area. And again, if you don't know Canada, that's where most of our population is, is in that kind of Ontario lower region, 6. 0.1 per capita people are victims of human trafficking in that area in the Halifax region it's 10.1 so it is much much worse there so the reason I was hired was because we are they were sending their youth who are way overrepresented in human trafficking to the worst place for human trafficking in Canada because that's where the event is going to happen and not only that when any kind of these big events happen they draw attention and attention is drawn by everybody, not just good people. So with an event like that, and the particular demographic going there, it's going to import traffickers from other areas. So the community decided they were going to do some training, they hired Jim and uh, Bridget, and then they brought myself in as well. So I had to remake this course, I had to look at all the numbers. And that's kind of what I want to share here. But I want to start with the story of my first encounter with the indigenous people of canada being treated different than everybody else cuz as you might see you're listening to this you could tell by my voice or if you see me i'm white if i was anymore white i'd be clear and i didn't really at least back in the day before the internet, really know there was people living in different worlds. There's people who had different uh, encounters with police. They had different encounters with the public in general. I was very much in a bubble of just being a white guy where it didn't really affect me. Going through my training, though, one of the coolest parts about martial arts training, back when I was focused primarily on physical skills, I was just trying to become a badass. I wasn't trying to teach people. I had to move my proactive state of prevention over dealing with it in the situation. The beauty of martial arts is you get to meet people from every single aspect of life. Everybody's equal on the mat. You could be a different religion, a different economic area. I've met lots of rich friends, lots of poor friends, lots of people in different cultures, all because of martial arts, because the drive to get better in martial arts seems to draw from all areas. It's a primal want for just physical safety. And that's the beauty of martial arts. And why I really, really like martial arts classes is that we get to talk to as many people as possible. So during my time, when I first started training, uh, I met up with a friend named Jesse Lassard. Jesse Lassard is First Nations, and he was of Dené tribe, which is a group here in Alberta, one of the many nations that exists in Canada. If you're not aware of the indigenous of Canada, there are like 600 or 700 different nations, different people, different language, different culture, and their culture switches all across the board. Canada is such a big place, so for my European listeners, it's hard to think about just how big Canada is. But there is so there are so many nations and cultures here. Like if you look at even BC, BC has the space for like I think there's like 30 or 40 different nations in BC. It's like Korea China Japan right different languages different cultures different peoples it's it's such an expansive place so the interesting thing of the indigenous games that I was hired to come help instruct the clients for was is bringing all these nations together and, and as you know when it comes to social violence when you bring groups together that's where trouble starts to happen but I digress I met my friend Jesse and we became very very good friends and he was going for an MMA career I had my brain injury at the time so I couldn't do MMA anymore but I was his coach and we were doing a lot of work and Jesse worked On the in the oil patch, like most people do here in Alberta, so he was out of town a lot, and he would pop back into town, and then we would go party and train and just be in our twenties. And there was one night where uh, I just got married, my daughter was not born yet, but she was conceived, and my wife at the time was obviously wanting me to come home a lot earlier than normal because me and Jesse used to tear it up because we were young, fit martial artists. The world was ours, effectively. And Jesse came into town. We went drinking. He was being weird, but like in a strange way. And he was kind of being secretive, but I was too drunk to really pay attention. And then Jesse, I had to split ways with Jesse at the night. I had to go home. I had promised my wife that I was going to go home, right? I had a pregnant wife at home. I couldn't sit all night like I used to. And I went home and he begged me not to leave, but this wasn't anything new. He always begged me not to leave. That's kind of the whole deal. Anyways, uh, the next morning I wake up and there's like... 12 messages on my phone right hey randy i need help hey randy oh my god these people are following me hey randy just horrific messages so many that going forward I actually had to work through the guilt of what happened because I I didn't answer the phone. And for a very long time, I didn't even turn my phone off at nighttime. I do now. So I decided to call him back thinking he's overreacting. Hey, what's going on? Blah, 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 blah. No response. I leave like five, six, seven, eight messages. No response. No response. No response. Think it's super weird. Expect a call the next day. Did not get a call from Jesse the next day. Then the third day, I get a call from the Edmonton City Police. They'd like to talk to me. They found Jesse's body hanging from a tree in the middle of nowhere. And they started asking me questions because I was the last person to see him. They started treating it like a murder investigation, which they should have. And they started asking me really questions and they were grilling me. And it was very, I was very nervous and it was very intimidating. And I definitely don't recommend being a part of an investigation. I've been a part of two investigations now, uh, one for a murder and one for a fire. They're super stressful. The law enforcement knows exactly how to push your buttons and scare the crap out of you. So we go through this whole rigmarole of Jesse being potentially murdered. And they asked me of course, like, would Jesse have committed suicide? And my answer was no. Jesse had just started improving his life. He had just got a promotion at his job. He had just spent some money on training. He had just looked at, he was just about to buy a house and he was talking about going to AA to kind of stop drinking. This was supposed to be our last like party weekend. And then he was going to really focus on his MMA career because Jesse was quite good. And so when I listed all that off, the officer even said like, these don't seem like the actions of somebody who's going to commit suicide. So they let me go. They decide that, you know, it definitely wasn't me. They hear the messages on my phone when I'm back. Obviously, I have my wife as a witness that I was home as an alibi, I guess. And so things kind of move on. And so uh, I'm kind of the king of follow up. That's like my business mentality is always follow up, always follow up, always follow up. So I followed up with the Edmonton City Police about uh, the case. And eventually I found out that they ruled it a suicide, which was strange because even the officers, when I first started talking, said it's probably not a suicide. And then just the 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 weirdness of where they found they found him in the woods by himself. His body was damaged and he was hanging from a tree. When I let them hear the messages, it did sound like somebody was following him. It did sound like there were some racially motivated issues. And it sounded like, like putting the pieces together for myself, that somebody lynched lynched him. They pulled him, they hung him, they left him. But long story short, because he was indigenous, because he wasn't very close to his family, because uh, they wanted to close that case, they just wrote it off to a suicide, which he had zero indications of, but it was easier. So this was kind of my first look at like, huh, we are living in different worlds, right? Because if they found me beaten, which they said because of his training, that's why he looked like that. And hanging from a tree, I don't think they would have ruled it off as suicide. At least they would have looked a little bit harder. This definitely is one of the key moments in my career when I went from, let's just teach physical stuff to, okay, there's things he could have avoided. Jesse was a destroyer of worlds. Jesse could have been a champion and he got taken out. He got taken down by a group of people. that showed me right there that martial arts might not be the only answer right there has to be other things we can do the greatest best people on the planet get taken out by a group of people with a couple clubs and a rope and it really opened my eyes to some of the injustices that we were facing here and this is why if you go back to the black lives matter movement where i was really big on that not because i was trying to get woke points but because there are minorities that are underrepresented that get number one selected for victimization because they know the police aren't going to look for them and number two even when it's an upstanding member of the community, they still get treated like they aren't right. They, they judge them by their people, they don't judge them as a person. And this has to change, especially when we're looking at law enforcement. Anyway, so this is one of the reasons why I started paying a lot more attention to things outside of, you know, me being lower middle class and a white guy in Canada, and everybody's saying, you know, Canada is the nicest place ever. Like every other country, Canada has a dark past. So This weekend, or the weekend I was out there, the research that I did just reinforced a lot of the stereotypes and a lot of the issues that I have with how the Indigenous people are treated here in Canada. Now, obviously, there's multiple reasons why this is happening. If you talk to them, they have explanations. If you talk to outside groups, they have explanations. I'm just going to give you some raw numbers here, and I think they're really important to know, and especially if you are a self-defense coach and you are teaching uh, Indigenous people, First Nations people, uh, Inuit, Métis people here in Canada, You should be aware of some of the outliers in the way that people treat them and in the violence they experience. The first thing right off the bat, Indigenous people in general, after the age of 15, are three times more likely to experience violence than any other people in Canada. Three times more likely. That's a a crazy number, but it's true. If you look at the numbers, this is direct from Stats Canada, they are three times more likely to experience violence. If you make it women, women, Indigenous women are 3.5 times more likely to experience violence. And that's just kind of where this starts, because in every category, um of violence, Indigenous people are overrepresented. There are so many of them. Because as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, 4% of our population is Indigenous people. And in every other category, they have higher numbers than any other peoples in Canada. So while a lot of people are like, oh, Black people don't get treated bad in Canada, when they do. Uh, and number two, that the racism, that the, the main racism, the main prejudice, the main bigotry goes to our First Nations people. And it's just from the culture of how Canada was formed. of Indigenous women experience violent victimization. So they are taken, abused, etc. 54% is a lot. And it's especially a lot when we look at the baseline, because across the board in Canada, 34% of women experience violence victimization, right? So that number is already really high. One third of the population experiences violent victimization. Unless you are Indigenous, then it's a 50% chance. That is wild. That is so high. It is crazy to me that that number even exists. Indigenous people in Canada are twice as likely to be the victims of repeat crimes. So being victimized over and over again, they are twice as likely as your average person here in the country. And then to make that number even more disgusting, 27% of all Indigenous people are likely to be victimized more than 10 times by the same person. 10 times. Across the board, everywhere else is 18%. So Number one, this is the reason why I do what I do. 18% of the people in this country, and I don't know what the numbers are for your country, you can look those up. 18% of the people in this country experience victimization from the same person repeatedly more than 10 times. That number goes to 27% when it's indigenous people. Indigenous people have a seven times higher homicide rate than anybody else in the country. You are seven times more likely to be murdered if you are from an indigenous community. And again, you can draw the data from where you draw that data, but that's the number. It's seven times higher than anybody else. That is astronomically higher than any other person here. When we looked at violent victimization just across the board, people experience it high numbers. We talk about this a lot right? We talk about the number of violent victimization that happens out there. It's about 30% of the population across the board. And again, unless you're indigenous, then it is 60% of the time, actually a little higher than 60. So as you can see across the board, when it comes to all metrics, of interpersonal violence, predatory violence, all those sorts of things. If you are an indigenous person in Canada, you are way, way more likely to experience it. This is a problem. The problem comes from community, the problem comes from housing, the problem comes from the way that we're treated, the problem comes from a colonial mindset, there's a whole bunch of reasons why those are super important. To take a look at if we look at the macro version of this, and this is a case for systemic racism, right? There's a bunch of systemic racism when it comes to how law enforcement treat them, how they're treated in their own communities, how people think about them, how they think about them having their own communities. All of this drives towards this way, way higher likelihood of violent victimization. Like I mentioned, the seminar was for human trafficking awareness. And this is where I was shocked by the numbers. I was really, really stunned that indigenous people are exceptionally overrepresented in the human trafficking area and also kind of where they went and where they go. And I got an even deeper knowledge of that when I was in Halifax working with Grandmaster Jim and Bridget because they see it happening in their community, right? In Dartmouth, they see people being trafficked. They know exactly the building it's happening in. They've reported the police multiple times. They know the people, the offenders, the tactics. They know all of it, but nothing is being done. And it's because of red tape and loopholes and whatever. And there needs to be some kind of medium ground here where, you know, enough accusations at least we should talk. I don't, I don't know how to solve it. That's not my problem. I, I don't have a law degree. I don't know. But what I do know is it's frustrating to hear when I'm talking with people from the indigenous community, the Mi'kmaq, at least at this time, and they can point out and name who is doing this, where it's happening and the tactics that's happening, and nobody can do it. Let's get in really quickly to the numbers of human trafficking. And again, you can take my numbers or you can look this up on your own. Go feel free. All of this was publicly sourced. Uh, Stats Canada is the place I got it. I think the most important stat that we need to Understand in this talk is that while Indigenous people make up 4% of the population, they are 50, 50, 50% of all the people that are trafficked in Canada. That is fucking mind-blowing. That is so, such an overrepresentation. Human trafficking in general almost always goes to marginalized communities. Marginalized communities have people that take larger risks in order to make income, fall into lives that are easier for predators to invade. Things like the boyfriend method with human trafficking, you can check out our short on the channel here or on TikTok, Defense Talks with that, or Instagram at Live where I talk about the boyfriend method, but like things like the boyfriend method or just grabbing and drugging work very well in marginalized communities because they have no People to back them up. And I've talked about this so many times that the two biggest self-defense tips I can give you is number one, have good boundaries. And number two, have a strong community. If they don't have strength of community or the community has been ground down through design or through just dilapidation of the people, it's gonna be harder for them to resist these things. And this is why 50% of all the victims in Canada are of the First Nation Inuit Metis. That is so fucking crazy to me. It it's kind of the whole reason I'm doing this podcast. Like that number. For of the population, 50% of all human trafficking victims. We can talk about the missing and murdered Indigenous women here in Canada. Over 600 people missing, murdered. They don't know where they went. There's a lot of missing young women. And this is the reason it happens. Because traffickers are looking for people like this, where the government doesn't give a crap and the communities don't give a crap. And it's it's showing, at least in the data, that this tax is working quite well. 96% of all the victims of human trafficking are women. That's important to know. I think there's different types of trafficking. There's sex trafficking and labor trafficking. In both of them, women are still overrepresented. The 45%, so just under half, are in between the ages of 18 and 24. And if you follow my teachings, I guess, if you follow the the courses that I do, we talk about what's called the magic demographic. The magic demographic is uh, 16 to 24. That's where most crime happens. The numbers here are showing that as well. 18 to 24 is 45% of them. 25% 25% of all victims are under 18. So we're looking at like 70% under 24 for human trafficking, kind of just in general. And another really mind-blowing stat, most of the victims of trafficking, at least here in Canada, are trafficked domestically, which means they're trafficked within the country. And I found that actually really shocking. I just assumed that people were getting taken and put on boats and brought to other countries. That doesn't seem to be the case. It says 94%, 94% of all victims have been trafficked here in Canada. And again, when I was talking with Jim and Bridget, this is what they told me. They told me that we know who the traffickers are, we know where they're going, we know that they have family in Montreal, they have family in Toronto, and they have like a network of people inside the country. And of course, it's easier to traffic inside the country because you're not crossing borders it obviously is much easier to get somebody out of there. Halifax being a port town, there's multiple ways out. You can fly them out. You can you can ship them out. You can drive them out. That's There's so many ways. And that's why Halifax is the number one port, the number one place of human trafficking here in Canada. I think it's very interesting too, because Looking at the ways that we're trying to stop human trafficking through uh, good communities, obviously, through understanding tactics like the boyfriend method, through just awareness of who's being selected and victimized, right? Because as we talk about self-defense on a timeline, selection is a major portion of this. You can't can't decide if you're selected, but you can deselect yourself from that violence. Knowing all these things is going to help give people a lot more information, right? And the fact that they're trafficked within and nobody's believing what's going on, or they're just turning a blind eye to it is a huge problem because we have young women from Youth to 24 years old, just gone, just missing, and nobody is giving any shits about this. So, I really think this is an important topic. And I beg of you, if you're a self defense coach, start putting some resources into this. I've created a Speak Up Self Defense course where we go over all of this information. And, like I told you on the Patreon, the bonus content for today is going to be me running through that program. Uh, you'll see a picture of Jesse. I'll go through the story, go over the stats, we'll go over some of the methods, we'll go over different things. But for this free portion of the podcast, I really want Want you to understand the problem that is facing these people. Seven times more likely to be murdered. 60% of them are experiencing violent victimization, which is twice as high as a normal level. Half of them half of all victims of human trafficking in Canada are indigenous people. So when you hear people say that things aren't that bad or whatever, it's a misnomer. It's throwing it away. It's not seeing the world as the world is. It's seeing it as you experience it. And that's a crazy thing. The last thing I want to say on this podcast and episode one is done. Like I said, we're bringing on a drug dealer this season. We're bringing on an emergency management person. We're bringing on a person who escaped the Mormon church. There's a lot of really cool guests coming on. I just wanted to start the season off with this. The last one that I really want to point out, this one definitely shocked Me the most because of how I present material. So, we talk about the difference between a stranger danger and attacker known. And we say that 70% of people on the low end know their victim ahead of time. It goes up with women to 80%. And it goes up again with kids, the 90% knew their victim ahead of time. And so that means like. 10 to 30% of people are being attacked by strangers, people they don't know. And that's where most people focus their attention. Here was a crazy outlier. When it comes to indigenous people, when we pull them out of the the numbers, 56% of people knew their victim ahead of time, which is very interesting. That means that strangers are more likely to attack indigenous people than any other people in the country. Instead of it being 10 to 30%, it's 40%, 45% of people, strangers attacking indigenous people. Now, this could be cultural, this could be because they're marginalized, it could be for a lot of reasons, but I think it's important to note that the numbers that I use are generic, but when we pull out different communities, you're going to get different numbers. So when I go to a course and say things like, oh, stranger danger is not really that big of a deal, uh, it is a big deal when it comes to people who are being human trafficked, it comes to people that are uh, in this community, right? 40, almost half, let's just round up. 50% knew the victim, 50% didn't know the victim. That is so high. That's a roll of the dice. So not only are they being victimized by people they know, like most of us, they have to fear strangers more than any other people out there. Well, hopefully this super fun, positive podcast puts you in a good mood. I'm just here to give you as much information as I possibly can. I have been very lucky to work with the First Nations. I've worked with like 10 or 12 different nations out there, uh, different peoples from the Northwest Territories to Alberta to BC to to the East Coast now and I always find them welcoming but this is a people that they kind of already know most of the stuff. I'm not doing this podcast for indigenous people. Indigenous people know they're being selected. Indigenous people know that they are the higher levels of crime. I'm telling everybody else this because we need to be paying more attention in the self-defense community to marginalized people. Too much training is for young, fit martial athletes and these are the people that need the training the fucking least. The people need to train the most are people in marginalized communities where predators go to to select victims because the odds of getting caught are lower. Predators do not want to get hurt and they do not want to get caught. So they're not going to be picking on the young fit martial athletes. That's barroom bullshit. That's, oh no, uh, I freaking, my ego was hurt. That's my parking spot. I wouldn't let anybody do this. That's all just ego bullshit. The people that really need this information are the people in marginalized communities. And honestly, if you shut them down with, oh, it's not that bad, but you're helping people win bar fights, you should get the fuck out of self-defense. Anyways, this is the end of the podcast. My name is Randy King. If you want to bring me in with all this swearing, feel free to get a hold- of us randykinglive.com and join us on patreon where i go over my entire speak up seminar for the bonus content of this podcast and next week we have an episode with an emergency planner it's gonna be a good one